everybody. Welcome back to the Couchside Judges. I'm Scott Fontana. You can find me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fontana. And I'm Dan Urban. You can find me at Dan Urban MMA. And you can follow the podcast at Couchside Judges. And wherever you listen, be sure to subscribe. And if you like what you're hearing, please give us a five-star review if you're able to do that. And we're going to talk about judging in MMA, so you should learn the criteria, which can be found at abcboxing.com. All right, Scott, before we dive into it, I want to let our listeners know that you have submitted your first story for the New York Post. and it- That is correct, Dan. I'm, I just did this uh, just before I got on with you. Yeah, it's, it's um, not exactly the most interesting story yeah, well kind of gruesome very interesting but it's yeah. uh it's pretty horrifying yep the attempted murder charges that are leveled against erwin rivera who you know we talked about three of his fights in 2020 um yeah i i don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of the details but i basically just rewrote a story that had already been reported earlier in the day by eric Koval over at my mma news uh as well as mark ramundi who we had on the show uh in the fall yeah, gruesome, gruesome story. Yeah. I have much more light and interesting. And, well, again, I don't know how much more interesting you can get than this crazy story. Go find it. But uh, hopefully later, later fare is coming next week. Something something a little easier on uh, on your brain to process. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, that's, uh, that's, you know, that's what I do outside of the show. Let's talk about what we've got for the show today. And, honestly, I'm really excited about this, Dan. I mean, we've talked about it for a little while. I've got a lot of data I want to talk about with you guys, and I don't want to throw a billion numbers out, right? It's that's gonna right, be terrible. Yeah, don't. We're not gonna overwhelm you with numbers. We're gonna we can keep it interesting. I think we can do that. You know, there'll be numbers here and there, but I'm gonna try and keep it contextual. It's gonna be a more conversational thing, and hopefully, we'll learn about kind of the patterns that we've started to see based on my data, or at least that I've started to see in judging in the sport and you know i'm i'm working uh to fill out my data base as uh, as well as i can you know i've worked from different resources to catch up to where we are now but i would like to go back as far back as i can you know pro- well, probably probably like five years i want to go all the way back to the uh the time where they actually changed the criteria back in summer 2016 i think if i can go all the way back there that would be cool yeah i think that would give a good uh indication of of what's going on it's gonna take a lot of hard work yeah. and hopefully a lot of assistance from people who have this information that i seek so if you're listening I'll, I'll put this out there if there's any judges who are extremely organized uh and some of them already have been very helpful to me but if you're a judge who has not connected with me or you're an official or anybody who is able to provide information like that that's kind of missing from my database, I would love it if you'd reach out to me directly. Uh, you can email me at Scott R. Fontana, F-O-N-T-A-N-A, at gmail.com. Yeah, you should definitely do that. Scott worked hard on this uh, data, and like many of you listeners, I'm probably going to be a bit surprised at some of the stuff. We touched on it outside of uh, recording a bit, but I just got pretty much general out generalities, and we're going to actually dive into this a uh, bit deeper, and I'm probably going to learn some stuff here. I hope so. I I hope a lot of people learn a few things. Uh, And, you know, I'm going to kind of do a quick little setup of the way the data is is set up and what we have here. But, you know, keep in mind that data doesn't mean everything. You know, this is a very human process judging fights. So, you know, take take this as as more of a guide that tells you some things and can provide some interesting perspectives. 
So here we go. You know, we should start by kicking off and I'll tell you exactly what time frame we're working with here. This show is based on data from all UFC rounds, only UFC and judging assignments from May 11th, 2019 through the end of 2020. That includes 1,584 scored rounds. It's a lot of rounds. It's a lot of rounds. Yes. <laughs> I entered all that into a database. Think about that. Yeah, that's a lot of manual data entry there. I, I honestly it can be cathartic. I actually don't hate it. <laughs> it's it's something where I can kind of get zen. <laughs> Just gets in his zone and keeps typing. I'm very sick. <laughs> anyway, I collected a lot of this data from the UFC itself, um, mostly with especially a hat tip to MMA Junkie, who was actually kind of the first outlet out there that was really sharing these scores on the regular on their website. So because of them, I was able to go back all the way through uh, somewhere in in June or, or May uh, and have most of the rounds out there. But there was there was some missing that I was able to kind of gather from other officials who have been able to help me uh, to them. I, I just want to say thank you. You know who you are. And we'd also like to thank MMADecisions.com. Understand that this data represents 19 months of elite MMA, uh, but it is still only a slice uh, this isn't, you know, we're, we're obviously ignoring things like Bellator, Cage Warriors, PFL. Um, if we had them, it would paint a much better picture. We don't have that. Um, so take that for what it's worth. Um, there's many judges who are excellent assessors of rounds. And there's probably some judges who maybe some of their dissenting rounds came in other promotions and they're not represented correctly. So keep that in mind, too. Um, you know, one judge who I definitely won't be mentioning uh, for any of the statistical reasons, but I want to point out as one of the judges that I think is one of the best that you almost never hear on UFC broadcasts, Brian Miner. You hear him on Bellator all the time. Great, great judge. And real quick, too, I want to remind everybody that when we reference dissents, which I'm going to be doing a lot here, this is what I call a round in which a judge disagreed on who won a round with the other two judges that he or she was working with. So being the dissenting judge only means that you were the minority assessor. That doesn't mean you were wrong. Make that very clear. That doesn't mean the judge was wrong. Sometimes maybe they could be, but not generally wrong. As long as you can come up with a solid argument one way or the other, um, that's that's okay. Often a bunch of different ways we see rounds, right, Dan? Yeah, I, I think I think we talked about this going forward. We're going to try to, you know, any dissenting round, we'll, we'll try to see if, if it's a tough one to to justify for next yeah, I year's think that's, uh, data that's show. That's a good thing to track next year. We didn't really do a good job of tracking that throughout the year. Um, we didn't start at the beginning of the year, too. And, you know, I think we've allowed the show to find its identity throughout the last year. I think we kind of hit our stride like late summer. Yeah, we were, we were, we were getting, getting pretty good there, I think. I think so, too. So, yeah, that's something we'll keep an eye on. I don't expect we'll find too many, uh, to, to be perfectly honest, where we just can't see an argument for it. But it's going to happen. It, it always happens. Um, and, again, that just because one judge, too, has a round like that, you look at their body of work. And that's what I'm trying to accomplish here with this data is let's create their body of work. Let's find out how often they really do disagree with other judges. Yeah. Why don't we get into it? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I hit. I, that's my spiel. Hopefully you're still here. <laughs> <laughs> so some of the stuff I know we both love is uh, when we don't see a 10-9 and we get one of the more uh, rare scores, like a 10-8. Yep. 
how much or how often do we actually get 10-8 rounds? So the data bears out that about one in every 10 rounds gets at least one 10-8 from a judge. Okay, so we can probably probably expect to see more than more than two a night. Or, um, or about two yeah, a night. I mean, it, just, yeah, it depends on how many rounds we get. If you get a lot of finishes, probably not so many. If yeah, you get true. a lot of decisions, you might have some more. But that's that's perfectly an average where, you know, maybe some nights you get none and some nights you get a lot. And especially like last year, it was all taking place in, you know, Nevada, which has been perfectly fine about its judges kind of giving 10-8 rounds. And then we've had some other states where we almost got the sense that judges weren't supposed to be giving out 10-8 rounds, you know? <laughs> no 10-8s allowed. I don't know allowed. if that's truly the case, but that definitely, <laughs> uh, from my understanding, was basically the case before the criteria was clarified is that most commissions really didn't want you to give out 10-8 rounds. I could see that just because it was so, uh, wasn't really hammered out what constitutes a 10-8. But anyway, as you know, I've said one in 10 rounds gets at least one 10-8, right? Half of them, actually just about half of them, are from only one judge. So even at that, that's still the minority score. Okay, so it's not it's not unanimous across the board. No, 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 no. That's just where at least one judge gave okay. it. It's it's much more it's it's more likely out of the out of that kind of ten percent we're talking about, it's more likely that it would end up being a you know, either two or three judges gave it a ten eight, but almost half that time we're talking about, you know, it's roughly five percent almost of those rounds are just one 10, eight. So it's still a minority score in that sense. You're really only looking at like the majority being a 10, eight about 5% of the time. Yeah. You know what? And I think that, I think that leads to our cri- criteria that 10, eight is a bit too wide. We, we broke, we, so. we narrow it a bit. And I, I think 10, nine, you mean? Yeah. Now. Yeah. 10, nine is way too broad. I think it, it needs yeah, to be narrow. Yeah, I agree. And, and I'm glad you brought that up because that was something I, I did want to touch upon. I want to make sure I mentioned, but um, it is worth noting though, that I did notice about a 1% uptick over 2019, the port, the 2019 portion in 2020, in terms of how often we had 10, eight rounds. So, I mean, is that a fluke? It could be, it could just be the simple variance of a year, you know, whatever it's, it's only 1% different, but Hey, maybe it is on the rise. Maybe judges are ever so slightly giving more 10 eights. I don't know, but keep in mind the criteria wasn't made to give out more 10 eights. It was to clarify what a 10 eight is. Yeah. More 10 eights is a byproduct, right? I just think there should be more. I agree. Yeah. I, I'm with you. I mean, <laughs> personal opinion, it's way too infrequent. I, I would love to see, Honestly, I would like to see it more like, and this this isn't a judging thing. This is not the judges themselves. This is the criteria. The criteria would need to be be altered to get here. But I mean, it should be more like a like I would say seventy. I would say seventy percent of rounds could be like a ten nine. I think that makes right. sense. Twenty five percent or so would be in the ten eight, and then five percent could be ten seven. I'm with it. I think we have some really hard ten eights that could just easily say like, why don't we just make them ten seven? Speaking of ten sevens, uh, did we get any? Well, we had the one, as you know. Yep. Uh, from Mark Collette over in Fight Island, he gave the one ten seven to Hamzat Shemaev in the debut round, where we all realized what a monster we had on our hands. And that's the only one we got. That is the only one we got, and that was the minority score. Mm-hmm. The other two judges gave it a ten eight, which I mean, you know, I watched it live and I said ten eight, but I, it's probably because I just didn't think about that they could ever possibly give a ten seven. <laughs> Forget what I did live. I think I was just praying to see a 10-7. <laughs> I 
thing I was so, but the for. way that bears out data wise, you know, I don't want to bury you in in numbers and everything like that, but six hundredths of a percent. Yeah, so one in is one how thousand. frequently we had even one ten seven assigned over the last nineteen months. Okay, so that yeah, so only one round out of the eleven hundred or so that you mentioned. Fifteen hundred. Actually, it's close to sixteen. Yeah, so that that never happens, and uh, it just doesn't happen. You can't. You can never sit there expecting it. And I, I've seen all over Twitter people clamoring for ten tens on certain rounds. Did we actually get a ten ten? Nope, they don't happen. Yeah, ten Stop tens. Yeah, them. ten tens are not a score. It should just be strict. Not gonna happen. It. Yeah, get rid of it. it. It's fetch. It's it's fetch, and it's not gonna happen. Yeah, strike it from the criteria. That out, Mean Girls. <laughs> I would say, though, before we go on, actually, I just want to cut you off real quick to say that if you are looking for a 10-10 round, it's got to be a staring contest, basically. That's my understanding of it. If they're staring there, they ain't doing anything. With no really advancement. Throwing, they're not pressing. Y- yeah, you can start looking at a 10-10. It probably would happen. But I feel like beyond that, you're just you're never going to see it. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't we move on to the judges themselves? Yeah, absolutely. So we both gave our judgy for the judge of the year in 2020 to Sal D'Amato. We did, the judgy. Is there any data that supports our pick? Oh yeah, Sal D'Amato. There's a lot that supports his pick. Actually, honestly, it's it's interesting because each year, both the 2019 portion, which again, we're only talking about seven months out of that year, um, and in 2020, he was the most active judge. Over the course of that, he turned in 523 rounds, which is just about one in every three rounds in the UFC. He turned in a score for. Think about that. That's a lot. One in every three. Now, he doesn't work every fight on a fight night. He's basically there all the time. Yeah. That's... It's amazing. <laughs> He's a machine. And he also works Bellator events. He did a Bellator event in Italy where he was on every single fight. I mean, that happens, though. I mean, you, we, we see uh, in Invicta fights, anything that takes place in Kansas, it's almost always the same three judges that work one event. Um, that does happen. I'm just, it's got to get tough. Oh, I would your, imagine your so. But you know, I mean, point. we had we had Ben Cartledge on the show over the summer, and he oh, yeah, said he had a yeah. lot of assignments and stuff. And <laughs> right, yeah, that, you just kind of do it. That twenty-four fight card or something like that, something crazy. Yeah, <sighs> was it that? I, I think it was some some absurd number of fights. Perseverance from uh, <laughs> from the man Ben Cartledge. But yeah, so back to Sal though. Only only four judges even had at least half of the rounds turned in over this time as Sal D'Amato. That was Derek Cleary. Chris Lee, Mike Bell, and Eric Cologne. Jersey. Oh yeah, New Jersey. <laughs> and you know that's a that's got to be because he's the the best. I mean, you wouldn't put that much trust in a guy to you know to judge that many fights if if he wasn't good. I would think that's at least part of it. But here's here are things that kind of make sense for me too. Is, is what really cements him as the best and and kind of the gold standard in judging is the fact that he's assigned not only to all these fights, but he's assigned to more five rounders than most people. He has the highest percentage of five round fights as his assignments. Yeah. So he's getting put on the most important fights, 43 five round bouts, which is essentially 43 main events. Not exactly. You know, sometimes, sometimes we have a three round main event and sometimes we have multiple title fights and that kind of thing. But I mean, over the course of that time, I actually don't have this number available, but I'm going to estimate that that's like probably somewhere around, 65 events so there's a good chance if it was a five round fight probably a better than average chance sal d'amato was a judge on it yeah I... this shouldn't surprise anybody who's who's yeah, here and you know <laughs> sal d'amato 
it's I believe it's Sal D'Amato, I, I, and I hope I hope I'm saying that one right because uh, well, we should trust. I just Bruce assume Buffer. that Bruce Buffer gets everything wrong at this point. <laughs> I just I have to. <laughs> no one corrects him either. But, Maybe they do correct him. He just doesn't listen. <laughs> I've heard stories of of him realizing his mistakes, telling judges that he's going to be better, him being better, and then him backsliding. I mean, the Derek clearly is the one that gets me every time. Oh, yeah. Derek clearly. Eric Colin. That's it. yeah. He just he just reads it for what it looks like on the. Paper. I mean, it's it, there's an accent in the name. Just just Eric Colon. It's not that hard. I mean, anyway, it, back to yeah. Sal though. It's not just that though. It's the fact that he does have one of the lowest descent percentages at four point four percent. Now, okay, that's pretty solid. Again, descent percentage doesn't necessarily mean that they are right or wrong, but what it does mean is that they are in step with their peers. That is that is what that actually does mean. And that's a good thing, I would have to think. It should be. I mean, these guys... Especially when you're working that often. I mean, think about how many mistakes you could make. Oh, a ton of them. You know, just just when you're talking about trying to assess something, and that's the word that, that is preferred is the assessment, you know? You probably make a you probably make like five or... About four or five key decisions. I mean, I don't know. I'm just going off what I, what I would think. Probably like four or five mm-hmm. key decisions per round of how you see something. Yeah, I wouldn't even know how around. to quantify that. That's uh, that's not in our data. <laughs> but I mean, you just look at all of these things, and you know this this percentage here, this four point four percent, just to give you a little perspective, because th- what does that mean? You know, a percentage like that doesn't mean anything on its own. So that percentage, what it means is that of ra- of judges with at least seventy five rounds turned in the UFC over the course of these this nineteen month period, right? We only have four judges who had a, a lower percent. Uh, they were in agreement with their fellow judges more often. That was Clemens Werner, Mark Collette, Ben Cartledge. The uh, the Super Euro Trilogy. Euro Trilogy, I like that. The Euro Trilogy. If, if I was fighting in Europe, those are the three I'd want on my fight, uh, and, as well as Ron McCarthy. So all four of those had a lower descent percentage than They South. had a lower percentage, okay. and actually it was, uh, it was Werner and Collette who were the only ones with a sub-four descent percentage. They, they were even... They were really the best of the best there, but they didn't turn in as many rounds. Okay, so smaller sample size for those guys. Smaller sample size. They're, I mean, they're they're terrific judges. Yep. If, I mean, it goes without saying. Uh, but yeah, but, uh, but the point being, when you have someone who is just at that high a volume and who is that much in step with his peers, I mean, that's remarkable. Yeah, and it, it just leads, it, that's why he's the, the best. Absolutely. So. And, and anybody who's questioning that, I mean, I would have to wonder why. Uh, is there a judge you think deserves more five round assignments I do absolutely and that is ron mccarthy i'm glad i you know i mentioned it before glad you asked good old ron uh, as we planned for you to ask <laughs> i think i mean your dad being big john he's like synonymous with the ufc and mma well yeah i mean he and basically helped write the rules <laughs> you think you gotta be like awesome at this right not necessarily michael jordan's kids weren't the best basketball players did they have his work ethic i don't know probably not yeah. So maybe Ron McCarthy has uh, has even better work ethic than his yeah, father. Who knows? I, I have no idea. So think- but what I can tell you though is that the reason I think he's kind of the a very underrated judge who I especially would like to see more often on kind of bigger fights is just the, the fact that he does have that very low descent percentage. It seems like mm-hmm. he's very much in agreement with his peers. You're, you're not going to get a lot of hinky decisions. You'd have to think. Um, I can't think of any big decisions where he was on the wrong end. You know, they don't come to mind. Uh, but not only that, like 
he's really not working a ton of five round fights right now. He's he's only about five percent of his fights are five round variety. Saldamato, I mentioned he's the highest. He's at eighteen. Mm. So you know he's he is more, he's almost four times more likely to be in the main event than or in a five round fight, I should say, than Ron McCarthy. I think I think McCarthy has proved himself. I think he's a great judge, superb judge of what's going on in there, and, and I think I would like to see him get more prime assignments. What do you think? I'm with you. I, I think maybe the reason we haven't seen that much towards the end of the year, I kind of noticed he wasn't on as many fights or wasn't on on cards as a whole. Well, I know what, he didn't go to Fight Island, so he missed out on that. Uh, but I thought some of the Vegas cards, he was kind of like, he might have missed a couple Vegas cards. So maybe went on vacation or something. I mean, it, but, it's hard to say. I don't want to speculate about right, what the man's no, doing with I'm just, life, No, but... I'm just saying maybe he just wasn't, that could be a reason why he wasn't getting the five rounds because he just wasn't there. Well, that, but that's not the, the point is the fact that when he is assigned, the percentage of times where he's assigned to a five round fight is still lower. Okay. So it's, it's not the volume. It's the, it's how frequently he will get on a five round fight as opposed to a three round fight. That's fair. So I'd like to see him more. And it's no disrespect to the other judges who are getting opportunities too. I think everybody is getting deserved opportunities. I would just like to, I think, I think, uh, I think Ron McCarthy has proved himself as, as a fantastic judge. I'm sure his peers agree. Oh, yeah, he's great. And, and you know what? I, I kind of felt that he's kind of one of those in the newer school type of more liberal with the 10-8s. Is, is there data that, to, that proves my assumption? Oddly enough, he's basically in step with however his peers are going with 10-8 or 10-9. Okay. In, in 185 rounds, he had one round where he dissented as far as a 10-8 or a 10-9, and he gave a 10-8. Okay. But that's it. That's like that is the only judge in that kind of range who has so few times where they vary from the other judges. So I don't know. It does seem he it doesn't seem like he's necessarily more likely or less likely to give a 10 eight. It seems he's more likely to know if it's a 10 eight or a 10 nine for for some reason. I think is terrific. Oh, that's great. But for some reason, I picture uh, Ron McCarthy and Mike Bell as like WWE tag team that come out and JR's like, it's Bell and McCarthy. It's Bell and McCarthy. They're running havoc. We're running wild all over everyone. That's Bell and McCarthy's music. (laughs) That's, I just feel like they're a tag team. I don't know why, but I just kind of feel. Uh, Yeah. I I mean, I can tell you Mike Bell, actually, he, he has seven instances where he was the only 10, eight, but only one instance where he was the only 10, nine. Okay. So he's definitely much more of the the pushing for the those ten eights necessarily. Mm. I don't know if he's pushing it for it, but uh, he certainly seems to he's think it's it. pushing yeah. that way. Yeah. Uh, in terms of what we got, uh, Eric Cologne too. He he was at seven ten eights uh, on his own, and then just two ten nines on nice. his own too. So it, we we're looking at two guys who are are kind of pushing it a lot harder. But I don't think that's a bad thing. It just no. seems like they're everyone's still trying to get on the same page as far as what is a ten eight and ten nine. It's a very hard line to find i think yeah because everything is just so i don't i don't know if the right word but i think the right word is subjective it is it is but yeah i mean (laughs) anyone who's pushing for more 10 eights and and trying to go farther than that you know i hope more people get on board with you than the other way around so oh yeah they got my support (laughs) uh anything surprising to you about any particular judges i'll give you one adelaide bird oh she'd take a lot of heat and in my in years past She's been on look, my end of it. Look, she she has been the butt of jokes for years. Let's I mean, let's just call it what it is. But and, and I'm not expert in the nuances of judging boxing. That's I mean, I like boxing. I, I 
I liked boxing before I came to MMA, uh, but I just don't understand scoring it as well as I do MMA. I just you know, get that out there. I just thought that the Canelo Triple G boxing scorecard that she turned in was pretty terrible, and I probably will always think that. Having said that, with that all out of the way, she did not have a dissenting round out of 42 rounds in 2020. Oh, good on her. She was totally in step with every judge, every round. I'm actually shocked she had that many rounds. No, she was on quite a few cards. Yeah, no, I, I noticed a few uh, Apex cards, but I, I guess I, I missed it earlier in the year when she probably... She was on the very first uh, event of the year. And actually, I, I remember you and I uh, both just... Dis- we, we both disagreed with her, and I forget who else was the judge on that round. It was round two of J.J. Aldrich and Sabina Mazo. Yeah, I, for- I mean, yeah, that, that recording is long gone. But even at that, yeah, that this was this was uh, this was pre this was something that judges. we didn't actually show the light of day here. But no, I mean, even in that, we disagreed with her at the time. We didn't know the criteria as well. We'd probably have to watch that again to to see how we feel now. But at the same time, she was in the majority. It was two to one. Right. She was in the majority, so no dissenting rounds. And there really aren't a lot of judges who had no dissenting rounds this year. And I, you know, of of the judges who did, she had one of the highest number of rounds worked so credit where it's due you gotta, yeah you gotta give the credit yeah and, and so that's that surprised me too i think a lot of people really need to understand that yes maybe she did turn in a really terrible b- scorecard in boxing it's entirely possible so, I, it's what i believe but you know, I'm, I'm tied on my belief but does that make her a bad mma judge on its own not necessarily so i would have years passed if we did this and before i asked this question i would just assume this was her but which judges are least in sync based on the data the, there are a few, but uh, I'm going to start by talking a little bit about one of the ones we saw the most because he often worked at UFC Apex, and that was Dave Hagen. Mr. Hagen. Yeah. Um, as- oh, I-, I should say, aside of Chris Lee's struggles in the last five weeks of the year, which were, um, as we've chronicled in other episodes of the show, I don't think we need to hash out as much now. Um, yeah, he was he was not as in sync, Dave Hagen, as, as some of the other judges, but he actually had... Uh, a dissenting round 10% of the time. So one in every so, you know, 10. We, I talked before about differs. judges who had, you know, anywhere from three to 4%. Really, when you're talking about the typical judge you see in Vegas or Fight Island last year, you know, they're, these are men and women who are typically in the three to 7% dissent range. Anything in that range is pretty much solid to, to normal. It's kind of what you'd expect. After you get after the, out of that, that's where... It, it doesn't need necessarily you start to see them more frequently disagree with their judges so just again that doesn't make him a bad judge i'm not sitting here calling dave hagan a bad judge i mean we've been on the show before and we've both said for his dissenting scorecards that we agreed with him right we have agreed with him when he was the dissenter but i remember other rounds where we just really disagreed with it him. does happen absolutely so. um but again that all that means is that he's not as in step with his colleagues as some of the other ones are. Mm. And he's also actually one of the few judges who's more likely to be the lone 10-9 than the lone 10-8. Okay. Um, it's not very much, but... Uh, so you need a little bit more. He wants to see a little bit more to, to push to the 10-8. Yeah, it seems to be that way. You know, we, we're talking about he, he was the lone 10-8 twice, but he was the lone 10-9 four times. Uh, and the only other judge that we saw frequently who was kind of in the same boat as far as more 10-9s than 10-8s. That was Tony Weeks, uh, but he didn't have as many. And he had a much higher percentage, uh, I should say, a much lower percentage of dissents, Tony Weeks did. Okay. 
So yeah, maybe mm-hmm. it might just mean that he's more reluctant to go 10 eighth than his peers. That's pretty much how I interpret that data. Anyone else in that same boat? Yeah, there's a few that are a little more out of step too, just like Dave Hagen were, are. Or there are a few judges that are also in the same range of being, you know, dissenting judge as Dave Hagen. And we've got David Leatherby, Howard Hughes, uh, Paul Sutherland, Barry Foley. These are, you know, they they work internationally. They're not uh, U.S. based judges. Also, Marcos Rosales. Um, and actually, Barry Foley. These all of these ones have double digit descent percentages, just like Dave Hagen. But Barry Foley, his descent percentage in the rounds that we have, while smaller sample size, I have to know that and that can make the difference here. Barry Foley's descent percentage is twenty two percent. Okay, so what almost is, what one is the in four there? rounds of his is a dissenting round from his other judges. That's that's surprising to me. That's that's kind of something that makes what, you raise your eyebrows. You'd what, have to look at individual ra- you know fights to be able to say like okay what happened here, but that's a lot. What uh what is his number of rounds turned in? What sample is that? 36 rounds. Oh, okay, so he's uh, And out of them we have 7 descents. So yeah. again, small sample size. Yeah, Something right. that if I had more data, we'd be able to kind of see, you know, over the course of several years, what are we mm-hmm. getting? typically when Barry Foley is assigned to a fight. So you have to take it for what it's worth, which is, you know, a little, quite a bit of salt, I think on this one, not, not a, not even just a grain of salt. There's quite a bit there, Mm -hmm. but nonetheless, it's interesting to, to find these observations in the data. I should also say too, uh, Dave Torelli just avoided the double digits there. He was at nine and a half percent. Another Jersey guy. Dave Torelli, New Jersey. Look at that. And I'll stress one more time. This does not make these guys bad judges just because they dissent more. Could they be bad judges? I mean, that's for someone else to determine if they were to look into the individual ways in which they dissented. But they do dissent more often. That's all it means. That's it. But uh, what about genders? Oh, yeah. The difference between men and women's uh, fights. Obviously, there's more women fighting in the UFC than there are men. And there are more men's fights than there are women's fights uh, as a result. Probably even disproportionately there. So we're talking about 80% of that, you know, 1584 figure. I believe that was 1584 rounds scored are men's rounds. Mm-hmm. Well, so only about 20% the other way, obviously. Um, that that makes 100 uh, if you're counting at home. That makes 100. And as it turns out, if you just look at the dissenting rounds, the, the percent of dissenting rounds, 22.5% of rounds in men's fights feature a dissenting round, whereas just about 17 for the women. So it's it's technically speaking... Easier for the judges to get on the same page for a women's round than a men's round. Now, do you think that there's larger skill discrepancies in some of the women's fights? It's possible that that could have something to do with it. Um, I think, you know, when you talk about women's MMA, and I'm not saying women are not skilled. Oh, my goodness. Please do not twist my words here. That is not what it is. But women's MMA is younger than men's MMA. It just is. It really, Ronda you know. and Gina Carano were really the, the pioneers there. Oh, I mean, you could go farther back than yeah. that. I mean, there's well, the ones who put it on the map. <laughs> they put it on the map. Yes, that that is true. Uh, oh, well, and also Cyborg. And Cyborg so you too. Cannot discount yeah. Cyborg's role in that. I mean, she's an immense star uh, on her own. And basically, when she beat the pants off of Gina Carano, she took the torch. Oh yeah. For a long time for mm-hmm. women's MMA, and then obviously Ronda came along, and we've had other people. Um, come along here and there but i want to be clear that there are amazing and talented women's fighters out there but i mean just look at women's flyweight division it's valentina who's i mean she's amazing she's just an amazing fighter 
but there's nobody remotely in her class. No, but and I think that kind of bears out in other parts of the division too. I think there's a bigger step down from different tiers of of fighters we could say in each division. And I think that is what happens when you start to put matches together and one fighter isn't quite as skilled as the other. And they're trying to figure out where that happy medium is because there just aren't as many of them. Sometimes it's probably going to get a little easier to judge. That's my that's my inclination. I don't know that, but that's what, how I interpret it. Yeah, I would agree. Sometimes you, you the smaller people, they actually finish more. 115 and 125 have a pretty good high finish rate for their fights. They do, they do. I don't so, have that percentage, and, I, and honestly, I'd have to double-check that myself, but I'm pretty sure you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and the other thing I should say, too, both in 2019 and 2020, those percentages for descents in men's rounds and descents in women's rounds are, are virtually identical. Oh, Goldie. A little Goldie action there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so what, what that what that tells me, though, is that this really is a very consistent thing. You'd have to see a greater sample size to get even more. But uh, I look at this and say, OK, that's actually pretty consistent. All right. What about weight classes? Is there any anything uh, different there on how judges descent? Yeah, okay. So some weight classes do seem to be more likely to yield dissenting rounds than others. So I should also point out before we even get into that, though, in 2019 and 2020, you look at the data for, you know, fighters in one weight class, and sometimes it varies pretty greatly. So I would say that a lot of this data may not necessarily hold as much water as some of the other stuff. Uh, it almost tells me that there's a lot of randomness to how well the judges can get on the same page when they're watching a certain weight class i I don't know if it necessarily bears out there so um again having said that though oddly enough light heavyweight is the highest likelihood of a dissenting round that's one of the weight classes we have one of the most debated decisions it does seem to happen that way doesn't it i mean you look at you look at john jones versus tiago santos from a couple years ago you look at john jones versus dominic reyes last year and i mean you go back way back to Shogun versus Machida, number one. Yeah. I mean, even even some people, I, I would have to go back and watch it myself to, to come up with an opinion, but I think there were some people who weren't even really happy with Forrest Griffin beating Rampage Jackson, right? Yeah, we I, we did say we were going to rewatch that one. We haven't yet. We'll have to. That's a good fight. I, I remember it being yeah. a good fight anyway. But yeah, I mean, that, this is something that it does seem to happen this way. And I, I, I would speculate, and I'm just guessing here, that it has to do with the fact that, you know, these are guys who can hit hard. But they're maybe not throwing nearly as much volume most of the time as the fighters at the lower weight classes. So then it starts to be okay. Are you weighing the volume or are you weighing the you know the impact of the punches? Which you know you're weighing the impact of the punches, but it's a sliding scale. You know which which way do you go? And they might eat them better too. So it's I mean who they're knows? bigger There's guys. So. A lot of factors. It's it's yeah. hard to really get a kind of a read on that. But yeah, it's it, it's something that uh, I was not too surprised to see but i did kind of expect it would be more just when i looked at the data i was expecting it to be okay it's easier at the heavyweight level and then it gets down and gets down and gets down and then more often they're descending at like all the way down to flyweight right mm. it didn't exactly bear out that way at all really on the on the men or the women i i should say too before i go on to the women that on the men's side lightweight and middleweight did feature the two lowest likelihood of descending rounds only about 20 percent or so and that was similar in both 2019 and 2020. So there there was a little consistency there. I mean, that who knows? You need more data. You're the data guy. I am the data guy. I need more data. <laughs> Feed me more. But on the women's side too, yeah, there, so 
like I said, the women's fights, we're talking about only 20% of them are, are women's rounds uh, or women's fights rounds, right? So, but one in four of them had a descent at straw weight. This had the highest descent percentage. I don't think that surprises anybody. No. You know, well, when, that's when another you think thing, of it... straw weight fights with this, with um, disputed decisions, uh, everybody goes immediately to the most recent main event in there that we had. And that, of course, was Angela Hill and Michelle Waterson. Yeah, I, I, it could be because they're smaller. You know, you don't get as many high impact punches or do, they don't appear to be as high impact because they naturally it's, just don't hit as hard. Yeah, it's hard to say. Uh, it could be related to that to some degree. I'm not sure. But, you know, when you think about it, the the women, uh, well, not just the women, it's really at any any gender. The lighter you are, the, the probably the faster you're moving. Makes yeah, it a little harder to see too, necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a judge. I'm not trained judge. So maybe for other judges, it's easier to see than others. Uh, but I, 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 re- I remember when flyweight first started, people are like, looks like they're moving in fast forward. What's, yeah. going, what's going on? I like keep track of what's going on. So uh, the speed definitely, I, I, I didn't even think of that. Speed definitely takes a, takes a toll there. I think so. So yeah, about one in four rounds have a, uh, a descent in them in the strawweight division, but it's actually, it's more like one in eight rounds for the combined bantamweight and featherweight women's fights. Cause I lumped featherweight in there since there were only eight featherweight rounds that were scored yeah. in the last 19 months. That's there aren't crazy. many featherweight yeah. fights. This doesn't surprise anybody either. I think you can call them one division for this purpose. They're basically one division. The it's, champ is, I mean, is the champ. It's the same division. champ. Yeah. She's a champ wherever. It, it is what it is. So, but yeah, that, that actually is, it really did surprise me how, low the descent percentage was for the bantam weights and, and again with featherweight in there too um but again i think i attribute that to the kind of the dearth of fighters in that division there's just not as many women competing at 135 pounds especially on the ufc roster so you know you're more likely to get a fighter who's probably in a different league than the other fighter but they need someone to fight so it gets match made and you hope for the best but maybe it doesn't work out yeah so all that all that is quite interesting stuff yeah, did you did you like it? I hope you did. I, did. I hope anybody I did. Listened, I enjoyed this. I hope it wasn't too dry. I know you put a lot of time into it. I did, and I appreciate the the acknowledgement. But, it, but I mean, it's really the point of this is to get information to people so that they can understand what they're seeing, what other what judges are usually like as far as the likelihood of them to be able to agree with their others or not. I think that's something to know. Again, that's not a judge of skill, but you know, when, when people see a judge who varies from another judge, they get mad. But you can say, okay, this is just one fight. But if it's a pattern, that's where you start to wonder, okay, well, why? Why is this happening all the time with this judge? But nobody knows that. There's That's not available. Like MMA yeah. Decisions has some stuff, but it's really just split decisions. But you can get to a decision, a three-round decision in a few different ways. You can get to a five-round decision in a lot of different ways. So you can get... 29 28 across the board mm-hmm. and everyone had a different round yeah that, that that's always interesting yeah there's like those are like those hidden unanimous decisions where they you know it looks like oh everybody saw it the same way but nobody did it was yeah. all different so yeah like you said you got to look at it over a large body of work some people are, are exactly they're writing Chris Lee off and they're like oh but his body of work and the body of work they're pulling from are the past six weeks and they're calling that and his you know body what? of work and I'm glad you brought up Chris Lee again though because I do want to say with factored in his rounds from 2019 as well, he really does look pretty 
usual. Like he, he, this is the way we typically expect a judge to be scoring rounds. It was really just those last four or five weeks that skewed his numbers. For whatever reason, his percent of dissents was just so out of whack. It was entirely out of character from what we typically expect of Chris Lee. It's unfortunate because his his dissent percentage was down to nineteen percent or up to nineteen percent, I should say. And typically, it was more like five to six percent. Yeah, so that's, that's just pretty darn good. That's what we want. Yeah, so that last six weeks was nineteen percent. Yeah. So I mean, that, you can't just grade him on the nineteen percent and ignore the four or five percent. And keep in mind so, that of that percent here, so I mean that's a percentage of a very small number of rounds. We're only talking about thirty-six rounds over that time period. That's seven descents in thirty-six rounds. Three of those descents came in the one fight, the RDA and Paul Felder. And Felder. So really, just one. So you fight. take that away, and it goes back down to eleven, which is still not great, but it's also significantly better. Yeah, that, and like we've mentioned to death, he was the one judge that saw for Angela Hill. He has. Please so, stop forgetting that. All right, <laughs> I think we we can probably we can stop being the cheerleaders for Chris Lee now. Yeah, we can we can knock um, that off. Yeah, I mean, but again, the the point that I think everyone needs to take away if they haven't already is that you cannot base a judge based on one fight. Look at the body of work. But at the same time, look at a pattern of fights that could be problematic. If it's happening a lot, then you say, okay, well, what's going on here? And I don't sure. think we have that with Chris Lee. I, I, you know, despite a bad month or so, I don't think we have that with Chris Lee. I hope he's at the next fights we have. Yeah, I'm with you. But, but think... that's all we have for this data. This is everything I had ready to present to you guys. I'm, again, I'm going to be working on this throughout the year. Uh, and if anybody who is a judge that, or, or an official that has this data available, please reach out to me. Again, the email is scottrfontana at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, send them an email. Or just say hello. That's fine. I, I'll say hello back. Send them chain emails. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, thanks, we Scott. We do have that was one good. more little treat for them, right, Dan? Yeah, we'll do one more thing. Do one more We thing. have a movie judgment. And, of course, as you know, this is where I give – Dan, a movie to watch that he should have watched in the intervening 20 to 25 years <laughs> and still hadn't. And this one is The Rock. The Rock was a fun movie. This is the Nicolas Cage, Sean Connery, uh, Ed, Ed Harris. I don't really get why Nick Cage is alive. What do you mean you don't get why Nick Cage is alive? He got, he got blown up at the in the, in the end. Uh, no, he didn't. I saw a bomb drop. I saw him at the end. He didn't get blown up. Well... I'm saying, how didn't he get blown up? Don't worry about it. Aside from him not getting blown up, I enjoyed it. I didn't want him <laughs> Nick, to get blown up, but they could have... logic for it? It's Nick Cage. I guess. But, I mean, what was the point of that scene of dro him dropping a bomb? There was no point there. It, it, that was just Michael Bay having nothing. fun. Yeah, he just had extra explosives, probably. It's like, yeah, yeah. I got blown shit up. We need to waste materials? <laughs> I'm not a Michael Bay apologist, but this movie is really good. I enjoyed it. Sean Connery was great. Uh, I give it a ten nine, solid ten nine, solid ten nine. Not not all the way up to a ten ten. No, I would watch it again. I, I like if it's on, I'll be like, yeah, I'm gonna watch this. Cause Is it like a ten cool nine movie. and a half? It's a solid ten nine. It's like a like a maybe ten nine point two five. What about like nine ten nine point like one seven six four? Yeah, it, it's in there. Okay, it's a yeah. good it's a good movie. You would enjoy. I love it. I love totally accurate decimals uh, when it comes to rating things. It drives me nuts whenever whenever I see somebody do that. I've seen I'm a gamer as, as probably few of you know, and whenever I used to see video game reviews that got like hyper specific like that, drive me nuts. You can't possibly rate a game correctly that way. 
Give it one to ten. Maybe no, with half scores. Got, That's it. You got to add decimals. One decimal spot is where you go. So now it's really just a scale of one through a hundred. Yeah, pretty much. So I think you get a bit more better that way. But we're judges, so we have to do through the judging scores that are available to us. That's true. It's true. But yeah, I mean, what, did you have a favorite quote from this movie? It's a very quotable movie, Dan. Uh, yeah, definitely Sean Connery he had good lines. Oh, he's amazing lines. Uh, the one guy I know, I remembered, he is the old guy neighbor in Modern Family, uh, Mr. Klezak. And I was shocked to see him. He's in the beginning of the, the movie. He's talking to the FBI guy, Kozak, I think his name, Kozak. Or something All right. Like that. But I remember, I, I noticed him and he, he was, he, he said some, I get up three times a night to piss. Language. Language, that's right. But uh, I thought that was funny. In fact, I, you know what? Since since we're on potty mouths here, and I'll sense, I'll self censor myself, but I'll give you my favorite quote. Do it. Y'all bashed. Losers always whine about their best. Winners go home and the prom queen. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that one. Carla was the prom queen. <laughs> Did you watch this movie again? Not recently. You just remember them because it's a great movie. It is good. It's good. I just this is a ten ten movie. Wow, ten ten. You're very lenient. I mean, it might have hit ten ten if if Nicolas Cage got blown up at the end. It might have hit ten ten if you watched it like in the last twenty years, like you were supposed to. I just want to say, I don't want Nick Cage's character to get blown up. It just so happens a bomb got dropped around him, so he should have been blown up. Ah, oh, and that you're drives watching, me nuts. You're watching this movie with the wrong mindset, sir. Drives me nuts. Just it's saying. like you're you're sitting here like someone who would be watching a fight scene from the '90s, being like, "Why doesn't this look like an accurate representation of hand to hand combat?" But but the thing is, I I enjoy movies like Fast and the Furious. I know it's completely out of the realm of reality uh-huh. of what happens in these movies, but I love them. Right. This I just it didn't fit with the movie of him getting blown up and not being blown up. But then at the end, they find the JFK thing. He like the, he knows the secret behind it, and I love the whole JFK conspiracy stuff. That's something <laughs> is else that I right? Can, I can get into that. Uh, I love that stuff is fascinating to me. I did not know that about you, sir. Yeah, so. That was a cool tidbit at the end. Right on. Although I don't understand why they looked like they were in 1960 all of a sudden. What are you talking about? The night they had a really old car. He's dressed like a 1960s going to Cuba, like uh, Ben Affleck in that one movie they just did. It's just a classic car. What's wrong with that? The way he was, it didn't. It seemed like he was out of. It was in a different time. It's Nick Cage. Just stop all questioning right, things. All right. That's just the way it works. Get in or get out. <laughs> all right. And that is it for our data-driven judging show. I hope you guys really did enjoy it. I hope you learned some things. And please, if you're able to put some of this stuff in better context for us, if you're a judge and you'd like to interpret this in a certain way that maybe we missed, I'd love to hear it. We can bring it up uh, on our next show. Uh, Our next show, too, I think we really ought to use some of this data to look into, you know, a little bit of open scoring-related stuff, right? It's in the news. We should probably discuss it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Catch you on Monday. Take care, everybody.